Hello, and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Amy, and I'm here with Brad. Hello. Well, today our second guest ever has returned for a second time, so it's good to have you back again, Trace. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me to join you again. I enjoyed our time together last time. So did we, and I was just thinking, you know, if you have to be careful to let me come and listen to you speak, Trace, because then I have all these ideas of things I want you to come talk to us. So uh, we're really grateful you're here, and it was so great to talk about our friend Adoniram Judson. Really, based on that conversation, we're turning to a new discussion And this one is we're going to start to look together through the book of Acts. And so can you share a little bit about what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, today we're just going to really look at Acts 8. We're going to read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, Philip was in Jerusalem at the time. Uh, He had just returned from a fruitful time of evangelism in Samaria, and he's back in Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, the angel of the Lord appears to him suddenly and says, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Ah, yes. I've always loved the specificity of that direction. Makes you wonder what's going to happen next. Right. And it's important to remember that right before this, Philip had been in Samaria proclaiming the gospel to crowds of people. And he'd seen God do some really incredible things. Unclean spirits are coming out of people. The paralyzed and the lame are being healed. It was kind of this ministry apex for Philip, at least I would imagine. And then he gets this assignment. And It's important to know that Gaza was anything but a thriving city in Philip's day. It was kind of a ghost town, to be honest with you. And the road that led to Gaza, it wasn't a busy road. So to be assigned to Gaza of all places was probably not what Philip was expecting. Yes. Now, if I was Philip, I'd probably be asking a lot of questions. Yeah, I think I would too. You know, I don't go to the grocery store without asking myself lots of questions. So Philip is leaving his country and he's headed down a mostly deserted road to a mostly deserted place. And I would imagine if I was in Philip's shoes, I'd be asking some questions like, why am I supposed to Gaza? go to Gaza? Do I need to go right now or can I wait until I have some better plans in place? I mean, what should I take with me? Who should I take with me? Yeah, as far as we know, Philip doesn't get answers to those questions, at least according to the text here. And uh, as far as we know, this is all Philip gets is go. And and by faith, Philip went. And it says in, in Acts 8, 27 to 29, he, he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Yeah, so Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wants us to see that God had been up to something in this eunuch's heart. Somehow, we're not told this eunuch had heard about the God of Israel, even though he lived down in Africa, and he had at least become a God-fearer. He had possibly even converted to Judaism. In any case, he's, his interest has stirred him enough that he's traveled all the way from Ethiopia to worship God at his temple in Jerusalem. Maybe this was the first time he'd been there, but it's possible that he'd been there many times. We just don't know many of the details, but we do know this, that God had been up to something. Yeah, clearly God's up to something in this guy's life. Right, because now he's prompting Philip to go over and engage with the eunuch. And again, if I'm Philip, I'm probably asking lots of questions here. Like, first of all, who's even in that chariot? And why am I going to go hop in the chariot with them? And you know that's not really a socially acceptable thing to do, right, God? And what am I going to say when I get up in the chariot? Lots of questions. But 
Again, as far as we know, Philip doesn't get answers to those questions. As far as we know, all Philip gets is go. And he went. Yes, and continuing in verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture. He told them the good news about Jesus. And as as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So there's a lot we could talk about here. But what I really want to get at is this, that at the same time the Spirit was stirring up Philip to get on the road to Gaza, he was stirring up the Ethiopian eunuch to receive him. You see, God was working in Philip and in the eunuch at the same time but in different ways. And in his sovereignty, he brought them together at the right place and the right time for salvation and for his glory. And we see God working in a similar way in Acts 10, the story of Peter and Cornelius. At the same time that God is giving Peter a vision about the gospel going to the Gentiles, he's stirring up Cornelius to reach out to Peter for the gospel. And so these stories, they point us to an important truth that the word of God loves to expand. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, Luke highlights this several times. I would suggest even that it is one of the key threads that ties the whole book together. Brad, can you read from Acts 6-7? Sure. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We can also look at Acts 8-4. Now here Stephen had been martyred. He was killed. Saul was uh, intensely persecuting the church. Christians were fleeing Jerusalem to surrounding regions. A horrible picture of persecution. But Luke says this, now those who are scattered went about preaching the word. So we could even say that there was purpose in the persecution. God's word was expanding. Saul had been trying to stop it from growing, but really he only accelerated the process. We see further on in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, it's the same chapter that James the Apostle is killed and Peter is imprisoned. In the face of suffering and persecution, Luke proclaims, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Yeah, and and one last example from Acts, although we could reference many, this one's from Acts 19.20. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And that comes on the heels of Paul's miraculous work in Ephesus. So really what, what's going on here, what we're seeing is that 2,000 years ago, God's word took on flesh in Jesus Christ, and it hasn't been bound since. Right? His people have been bound. We see that happening in the book of Acts. But his word cannot be bound, and it will not be bound. Onward it will go. And Christian mission is really birthed out of that reality that we have the joy and the privilege of joining God in making his word known throughout the world. 
Every single one of us has a role to play to join God by carrying his word out into the world to people who haven't heard it or haven't yet received it. You know, Jesus told his followers in John 20, 21, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. To be the sent ones of Jesus is central to Christian identity. In fact, Alan Hirsch in his book, The Forgotten Ways says, to be the church is to be on mission. So he claims that mission is not just something that the church does. It comes closer to being who the church is. It's closer to an identity than it is an activity. He goes on to say this, the church's true and authentic organizing principle is the mission of God revealed in Jesus. When the church is in mission, it's the true church. The church itself is not only a product of that mission, but is obligated and destined to extend it by whatever means possible. For this reason, it becomes vital that the church move out of its safety zones and engage in real mission on the margins. It seems that when the church engages at its edges, it almost always brings life to the center. Mm, That's such a good word, Trace. So what do you think this means for us? Well, I think it means that we need to be seeking God's direction for our lives, first and foremost. As we walk around in day-to-day life, we need to be asking God, God, how can I join you in the work that you are already doing to to make your word and your salvation known to the world? Uh, Honestly, I need to do a better job of that myself, a, a better job of making that my walking prayer as I'm walking around in daily life, asking the question, God, where are you at work? Where are you at work in this grocery store? Where are you at work in my neighborhood? Where are you at work in my fitness center? I think it really starts with a walking prayer. And doesn't it start with a posture of submission too? We can't genuinely ask the question unless we're ready to respond. You're right. I I think we really have to work at keeping a heart that's surrendered to the will of God, one that's ready to hear and obey. I think if we put in the discipline and the effort that's required to maintain that kind of posture, that we're off to a really great start. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. And I think we have to remember, too, that we all have a unique role to play. Brad, your role is different than mine. Mine is different than yours. And God has designed it that way. You know, we all have this broad call to make disciples. All of us do. But the broad call manifests itself in a more narrow, unique context for each person as God leads them. So each of us needs to go where we sense God is leading us and do what we sense God is leading us to do. And if all of us together by faith stay in our lane and remain obedient, I'm convinced that God will surprise us with what he can do. Mm, Yeah, that's so true, Trace. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son has sent us. We're meant to engage at the fringes, to engage in the mission of God. To make disciples. And yeah, we we have to keep in mind that if God is stirring our hearts to share him, then he's likely stirring someone else's heart to receive him. And in his sovereignty, he will lead us to that person or those people at the right place and the right time if we we are obedient. And we may not have all the answers, but we do have this instruction from Jesus, go. And with that as our closing word, join us next time at the One Link Podcast. Yeah, Trace, please come back anytime. It's been great. We'll uh, we'll see you all next time.